All right, everybody, let's go. We got one more here. So we talked about foundation of love, right? Walls of unity, togetherness. I'm not even going to try to finish that. It's not going to happen. Uh, and then we're going to talk about our roof, okay? Most fundamentally, your roof is for protection. And I want to say that you're, that's the third element. So you've got love, you've got unity, and you've got protection, you have to protect what God has given you, okay? And I'm going to apply this in two ways. I want us to go back to Nehemiah chapter 4. Let me tell you what happens here. Nehemiah, of course, gathers his team in chapter 2. Chapter 3 is predominantly a list of the various people that worked on the wall. It's really an interesting chapter. And it shows us, it reinforces what Nehemiah has said uh, to, in chapter 2, he gathered a group of people, got a consensus, and they began to work through this problem. Chapter 3 demonstrates that they then expanded out to various families, various leaders, and each of them participated on different parts of the walls and the gates, producing uh, a wall, according to chapter 6, that was built in 52 days. This is an extraordinary feat. I, uh, the, it, you know, it's... Some, somebody asked me a question once. Uh, yeah, this was the old city of Jerusalem. When you think of having a wall, a wall built around a city, I mean, it, it, it's not like the city of Jacksonville, which is the largest landmass city, uh, of course, in, in, in the country. Uh, it, you know, but it is still several square miles. So it, it's a big deal. I mean, this is a big wall uh, built, I think it's about eight feet thick, okay, thick enough to ride a chariot on top. Okay, that kind of thickness. This is an extraordinary event. This is a massive undertaking. When we come to chapter 4, though, we find that uh, before the wall was finished, in fact, just after the wall had begun to be uh, started, there were immediately oppositions and problems. Now, if you were to compare the book of Ezra and the book of Nehemiah, you're going to find something very similar a similar thread. You saw that you see this prayer, you see this call to action, and then you see immediately with it resistance. It is a leadership principle. Not that this is all about leadership, but it is a leadership principle. If you do not want resistance in your life, then do nothing with your life. You know, if you want to lead a church, if you want to lead an organization, you know, you can't do that well if you do not want resistance because inevitably when you start to do something positively you're going to cause friction okay and so i would say to you anytime you take a positive step forward even in your marriage you have to be aware of this other thing going on which is the real possibility of uh opposition coming into your relationship. Let me summarize what happens here. I'm going to give you a reference for each thing that I'm going to say, but I'm just going to run through these real quick just to demonstrate the nature of the opposition that they faced. It permeates chapters 2 through 6. So let me give it to you real quick. Number one, opposition came immediately. Kind of like leaving a couple's conference to find an immediate challenge in your relationship before you go to bed tonight, okay? Something like that. It came immediately. Number two, it came consistently Chapter 2, verse 19. It just over and over and over again, and then, and then it bears out through the rest of the story. Everywhere they turned, everything they tried to do. Number, number three, it came satanically. It came satanically. What I mean by that is there was an attempt 
to divide the people against themselves. That's the work of Satan. Okay, listen. Uh, you want to the, the one way that Satan will try to work against you and your family is to use the old war tactic of divide and conquer. Just like unity is so critical in your relationship, Satan knows that. So if he can bring any division in your relationship at all, he's going to try to do that because that's who Satan is. He is a divider. It came internally. Now, this is super interesting. Chapter 4, verse 10 says that the people began to be discouraged in the work and to face financial limitations in what they did. They were literally running out of money. Now, we just established last time that one of the key stressors in marriage is financial problems, and they face the very same thing. Sometimes opposition comes because you're literally facing something that's a challenge right in front of you, and it may be financial. Now, I don't have time uh, to get into any kind of financial session tonight or today, but I will tell you, uh, if your finances are out of order, your marriage is short to follow. You cannot have financial problems without having marriage problems, okay? Now, there are times where certain things happen at certain seasons that are uncontrollable, but there are things you can put into play and into practice that will build into you a life of being able to manage your life financially. And I'm going to give you three words, okay? I, again, I'm going to give this and blow by it. I have to say it. It's right there, but I'm just going to give it and blow by it. Three words. If you want to make money work, let me give you three words. Talk about three marriage pieces of advice, three words. Number one, give. Isn't that interesting? If you want to eliminate your financial problems, give. Give your way out of financial problems. Give your way out of a recession, Okay, the first thing I would tell any married couple that comes to my office and they want help in their finances, question number one, do you give? If you do not give, I'm going to say you want to fix your problem, start giving. Because God has promised to bless those who give. He has promised to give back to those that give. We do not give to receive, but we do receive when we give. Okay, so I'd say give, number one. Number two, budget, budget. Uh, the Bible is very clear about that. If you're going to take a city, consider what it's going to take to take down the city. If you are going to build a house, consider what it's going to cost to build the house. What's that called? It's called budgeting. Budgeting your resources, budgeting and planning, considering a thing, not purchasing something without thinking about it, talking about it, planning for it. Uh, we live by a budget. We have an electronic shared budget. Uh, Dave Ramsey puts it out. I'm not 100% endorsing everything Dave Ramsey does, but the app is great, okay? We have a budget meeting every month. We have a budget set where we talk about the things and we do not spend outside of our budget. If I don't have it, I don't spend it. It's just that simple, which leads to the third word that you'll find in the Bible regarding your money, and that is, that is debt. And the, word, uh, the thing about debt is don't do it. That's the thing about debt. Uh, anything, anybody that is in debt is a slave to lenders. And the Bible never speaks positively about debt. It's just not a good thing. Now, again, you may find yourself in a tough spot in all these. I'm just telling you, if you want to work through that challenge, then uh, put those three words into practice and you will find immediate help as it revolves around your family finances. Let me go on. Opposition will come in a threatening way. Chapter 6, verse 5, it will come religiously sometimes. Chapter 6, verses 10 through 14. But clearly, 
uh, these people, when they established that they were going to move forward, they were fought against in every way. Now, I want to read one verse to you because it's really the one thing I want you to remember from, it, really, honestly, guys, I think, I was just telling uh, uh, Kevin here, I said, you know, Kevin, you come to something like this, and, uh, and, and, and you, there's so much you can learn, there's so many principles. You know what I try to do at a, at a session like this? One thing. I just try to take away one thing. You may have written down 10 things, but man, if you just can take away one to really try to work on, let me give you one verse. If I could give you the theme verse of this whole thing about protecting your house, about, about building something together, look at chapter 4 and look, please, if you will, at verse number 14. No, I'm sorry. Yeah, 14. And I looked and rose up and said to the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, be not ye afraid of them. Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible, watch this, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Let me give you a final word. If it's worth it, fight for it. What did he say? You're coming up against opposition. You guys are getting embattled. You're going through it. You're being pressed. You're being, you're being challenged. What should you do in response? Remember God and fight for your family. And that's what I want to challenge you about with tonight. What's that? What is that ceiling of protection? It is when husband and wife decide our marriage is worth it. Our kids are worth it. This life that God has given us is worth it. And we are going to fight for it. One thing that you can do with any marriage is before you give up on anything, make sure that you realize how valuable of a treasure you have. And by the way, I just want to say this to you. Uh, I've had so many things going through my mind today. But um, listen, you have done two things today that have demonstrated something very positive about each one of you. You have given two of your most important resources to the Lord today. One is your time and two is your family. And when you give time and your family and you make that a priority, you're, 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 you're on your way to the right direction. So I applaud you for that. And I'm going to tell you right now, whether you're in a heated season right now, like Dan described, whether you're going into one, you probably heard this before, you're either coming out of a storm, going into a storm, or you're in one right now. And my challenge to you is this. Every marriage is worth fighting for, and every kid that God has entrusted to you is worth fighting for. And you need to put protection over your home by fighting for what God has given you. Okay, now, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I'm going to, put, I'm going to be practical now. This is where I, I told you I might give you a list or two during this whole thing. So I'm getting ready to give you two lists, okay? I'm going to give you 10 ways to fight for your spouse. I'm going to give you 10 ways to fight for your kids, okay? And I'm going to be real quick because I'm already running out of time. Okay, how do you fight for your spouse? Dan, if you remind me, I'll send these to you in case I'm talking too fast for everybody to write down. Okay, I speak 120 miles an hour with wind gusts up to 180. I get that, okay? So, but we're going to do our best and, and, and just follow as long as you can. Number one, never give up on your marriage. How do you fight for your marriage? Never give up on it. Guys, we've made a, a clear case in the Bible today for permanence, for permanence. Till death we do part. Do not give up on your marriage, okay? 
You may feel like it's bad. You may feel like it's tough. You do whatever you need to do to hold it together. And I have seen people try to make excuses. I actually had a woman uh, listen to a sermon I preached in our church on divorce, which, um, and I'm not going to get into all my philosophy and biblical belief on that, but I would just tell you that she actually somehow leveraged that and uses an excuse to hold something against her husband that happened 20 years ago in their relationship and chose to leave him. And I mean, I, I, I called her out on it. I said, you have literally taken the Bible and you have used it as a leverage tool to do what you want to do in your life. And I'm telling you, that is a huge mistake. You can believe whatever you want. Listen, guys, you can believe whatever you want to believe about what the Bible calls the exception clause. Okay, follow me now. Believe whatever you want to believe about it. I'm not here to debate you on that. I've got an opinion. You've got an opinion. But let me tell you what there is no debate about. God wants your marriage to stay together. And divorce is a bad option for everybody. It's terrible for you. It's terrible financially. It's terrible for your children. It's terrible for everything. And there's a reason why And I, God says, I hate divorce, Malachi chapter 3. Now listen, you say, well, I'm already divorced. This is my second marriage. No, this is the marriage God wants you in right now. And God definitely doesn't want you looking backwards. He wants you looking forward. Wherever you're at right now, second, third, fifth marriage, believe me, I've seen it all. I had a woman one time, she was, uh, she was uh, doing a background check for, uh, you know, working in our nursery. We do that with all of our kids, you know, workers and nursery workers. And she came up to me with her little form she was filling out to set it in. And one of, one of the things is, asks you, you know, about your marriages. And she just had tears coming down her face, poor thing. And she held it up to me and she said, Pastor, honestly, I don't even know what to say. She said, I think I've been married seven times. Honestly, I don't even remember and I don't even know that I can remember everybody's name. And she was just so brokenhearted about it. And, I, and, she, and then she looked up at me with that, with that broken, and she said, Do, is there a place for me here to serve? I said, you better absolutely bet there's a place for you. You ever heard of the woman at the well? Look, I'm not here. Nobody's here to make anybody feel bad about what's in the rearview mirror. Are you listening to me? I'm talking about what's going on right here, right now, today. If you're married, listen, stay married. Do not give up on your marriage. You can work it out. God can work it through. Okay, that's number one. Number two, do not spend time fighting your spouse. Focus on yourself. Let me give you two things to never use in an argument. Not that you guys ever argue. Let me give you two things to never use in an argument. Ready? Number one, the word you. Just stop it. Isn't that our natural tendency? Listen, I want everybody to look here. Listen very carefully. I'm a pastor, okay? And I'm looking at some other pastors in this room. We've all done marriage counseling. All of us. And I can tell you without exception... Every marriage that's going through a hard time, when they get in that room, in those two chairs, sitting in front of me, it almost always is the guy talking about her and the girl talking about him. And let me tell you how far you get doing that. Nowhere. Do not use the word you in your problems. You do this. You do that. Why did you do that? Why did you do that? Here's the second thing. Do not do this. This is trouble, 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 trouble. Do not use superlatives in a disagreement. Never, always. I'm sorry, that was a big word. Those are superlatives. Okay, 
Never is a superlative. That's a negative superlative. Always is a positive one. You always respond like that. You always say that. You never do that. What does that tell you? What does that tell your spouse when you say never and always? It tells them all you're doing is keeping track of everything they don't do right. By the way, that's not true and you know it. You know they're not always a pain in your butt. You know that's not true. So don't use that. By the way, let me give you a statement on this that I think will help you tremendously. I heard this years ago on this. Don't fight with your spouse. Just don't do it. Be more interested in winning a relationship than winning an argument. I had something just happen the other day. I, as I said, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a bit of a bonehead. I mean, I just really am. I just, I did, I just, I just can't figure it out. Uh, I do stupid stuff. I mean, it, it, I should... Honestly, I wish it was my job. Because if it was my job, I'd be very wealthy. Uh, just doing stupid stuff. Like the other day, I, my, my, we had, this was actually yesterday. This is actually yesterday. It's such a fresh illustration. We had graduation at my kid's school. I'm a pastor. We had a couple kids graduate. I need to be there. Uh, my son needed to be there because he's a patrol kid, fifth grade, going to sixth grade. He's the patrol guy. So there's a certain time he's got to be at school. Our youth pastor wanted to go with me, so I need to pick our youth pastor up. And I forgot that we left one of our cars at church on Thursday night. So there was this, I had to go to the church, get a car, go to the youth pastor's house, pick him up, swing all the way back around to school. And I'm sitting there like drinking coffee at the kitchen table. And Angie looks at me and says, why are we still sitting here? We actually need to go. Well, I just looked up and was like, oh my goodness, we're going to be late. So I took off and we're running through here. We're trying to do all this. And I'm about to pull up to school. My wife sent me a text message. This, I can read it to you, but I'm not going to. It said, it said, Brian, I think you owe an apology to Brent. You didn't plan this morning ahead well. And, and if you make him late, that's really on you. And you know what? She was right. Now, because I'm so awesome, I made it at 742, and he had to be there by 745. So the whole thing didn't matter. But I will tell you, when I read that text message, inside of me, I bowed up. I'm like, well, who do you think you are? Like, I'm busy too. But you know what I did? I stopped, literally, and paused and looked at the text message. First, I said to God, thank you that she cares about her family enough to make sure that the kids get their responsibilities done. And number two, I'm not going to respond to this. I'm just going to write back and say, hey, you're right. I should have paid better attention, and I left it at that. You know what I could have done? What some of you do. (laughs) And all of a sudden, you've got a 72-hour fire on your porch because you can't shut your mouth. Is it really that big of a deal, guys? Which leads me to the third thing, and that's this. Always... Think biblically, not critically. Okay, now, following up on what I just said, the Bible says we're to think on things that are true, just, honest, pure, right? Godly, Philippians 4, 8. But what do we tend to do? We tend to take a little text exchange like that. It's funny, I was talking to Dan before, right after this last session on, on interpreting text messages from your spouse. Whoa, girls, whoa. You girls have a tone in your texting, I am telling you. 
okay? I can tell you there's a problem in a fast New York City second. When I see a text message, I go, oh boy, something's wrong. Y'all got to get better at that, okay? But here's the deal. Here's the deal. When, I, when, I, when my wife says something to me that I don't appreciate, or something happens that I don't like, where does my mind first go? To the things that bother me. And all of a sudden, I'm consumed with that. And what does the Bible say? Don't think about that. Think about things that are true. Think about things that are honest. Think about things that are just. What does it mean? It means put your mind in the right place. Is anybody else in here, like, believe you married out of your league? This is a great time to say amen. Like, I know you guys are from Vermont, okay? And I know you guys don't ever talk, okay? But I am telling you, right there, that's a good place. Like, yep, that's right. I'm married way out of my league. Listen, guys, hey, I don't care who you are in this room. You've got it better than you deserve. And your relationship has been far better than you deserve. And it's been better than bad. And there's a lot of good going on. And there's a lot to be thankful for. And you have a choice as to how you... And whatever your mind thinks about, whatever your mind grinds on is what's going to end up happening. That's going to be the output. Number, number next. Okay, number four. Okay, how do you protect your marriage? Pursue your marriage. Okay, now I know, I know... That, that, that things I've talked about this week, there's a little overload here, and you may not feel like you can do it all, but do something. You know, I was talking to somebody, and they said, I tell you what, my wife's excited about one day a week for the next 52 weeks. That's great. You see, here's the thing. Your marriage left to itself will not improve. It will go to atrophy. So you have to actually pursue it. Number five, forgive quickly. I love this, man. I, I think, you know what, if you live in a, in, in a relationship, if you're married to someone, the, the, the tough thing about being married is everything is so fully exposed, man. I mean, who do you know better than your wife, your husband? And guys, look, honestly, it's not all pretty. You know what I mean? Like when you're dating and there's, this, there's a little bit of a... Yeah, you know, kind of like gap there, especially if you like in, in the Christian world, <laughs> you know, you grew up in the Christian world and you couldn't like hold hands until you were like two days before you got married or whatever, you know, you know, that kind of thing. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I was being facetious there, but I mean, you know what I'm saying? Actually, it's kind of true. So, yeah. <laughs> so you don't, you know, rightfully so, you shouldn't be living together. You shouldn't be sleeping together. We understand that. That's right. But what does it do? It also, in some ways, because of the nature of the time that you spend together, maybe it's distance, maybe it's just ultra-sheltered or whatever. I mean, you just don't... Sometimes the mask is on, man. Well, guess what happens when you get married? It comes off completely. And guess what you find yourself? You're married to someone who's messed up. And you... (laughs) No, that's good. Uh, Look, Dan's available for counseling... Right after we're done, i got to catch an airplane, man. i got to get out of here. Because you're married to somebody that's imperfect, you need to forgive quickly. Just, just forgive, guys. You're going to have to do it. Marriage is a perfect union between two great forgivers. It's only going to work if you do that. If you hold a grudge, if you keep score, if you're like Peter, how often shall I forgive my brother until seven times? If you're always wondering about it, when are you going to stop doing this? You're never going to win. Just forgive and move on. Just forgive. Forgiveness means I choose not to hold it over you. I chose to not bring it up to others, and I choose to give it to God. That's what forgiveness means. And, and if you're struggling about something, give it to God. Don't take it out on your spouse. 
Forgive them and move on. Number six, cherish every stage. I, and I got to tell you, for me right now, I am struggling with this. Y'all just pray for me. Okay, we raised our two older kids and we thought we were done. And all of a sudden, man, we backed the bus up and I'm changing diapers. You know, I had, I, and, I, and I honestly struggled with, my wife went into, my wife actually, believe it or not, and she, she knows how to talk about this some, she went into a tough place in 2021. Nine, about nine months after my youngest son was born. Man, I mean, her rail, she came off the rails. I'm talking about a pastor's wife. I'm talking about a great Christian. I'm talking about, most solid person I know. And I mean, she hit the bottom. She literally bottomed out. I pulled her out of church, not, not like going to church. I pulled her out of all responsibilities. She could not volunteer. She could not, I didn't let her sing. She loves to sing. I took her out of all child care, all that stuff. I just totally made her just back up and sit down for a minute. It was a tough season. And what we've come to the conclusion is this, this is what God gave us. And yes, it was difficult to kind of get it off the ground. There were some sacrifices that were made. But you know what? We're a family right now. We got a 15-year-old and we got a 2-year-old and everything in between. We're going to enjoy this. We're not going to wish this away. We're not going to poochy lip the next five years just because we're inconvenienced a little bit. We are going to bury ourselves in the lives of these kids, and we are going to love them, and we are going to absolutely have the time of our life, and we're going to do it with everything, and we're going to cherish every stage. Don't wish your stages away. Some of you are without kids yet. You know what you're doing? You're wishing some of the freest time of your life away. You ever heard the song, You're Going to Miss This? I didn't keep referencing country songs. That's terrible. Uh, anyways, <laughs> that means nothing about me. It just means I heard a few country songs. But you know what? It's true. Don't we always think like that? I wish I, I wish we had kids. Oh, but now I wish I wish they were grown. And then, oh, I wish they were back. Do not wish your seasons away. If you're privileged to stay at home because you got a baby, do not wish that. They'll, they'll They'll be the last time they'll crawl in your arms. It will happen. It just happens. Right? Just all of a sudden, it's just over. It's gone. All of a sudden, they're in college. It's over. You're done. You, you can't, you're not getting that back. You, you better cherish every second of everything that God gave you. Number, number next, we control our schedule, not anybody else. I do not let other people control my schedule. Nobody has control of my schedule. That's me. I do not give anybody Godship-like status in my life to rule over my schedule. I say no, I say yes, and it's all built around a priority of my family. That is on us to determine, men, how much extra work we have to do, how much time with our friends we do, or whatever, we control the schedule. You've got to get control of that schedule. Even if you're a ministry leader, and I think there's some ministry leaders here, you do not let the people of your church dictate your schedule. Can I say this? Most of you are members of churches. Can, let, me, let me help you with something here right now. Your pastor, okay, is not the slave to your schedule. Okay? You've got to think... You got to think more realistic about how this works. You expect your pastor to work all day and then work for you all night? 
we got to work together better on this. And ministry leaders, you got to learn how to say no. you got to learn how to set the expectations. It's your job to set your schedule next. Listen to this. And I'm going to get into parenting in just a second, and I'm going to do that real so quick. I don't even know if it's going to be even helpful. Number next. Chaotic parents breed chaotic lives. Be careful to not parent out of fear. Do not be afraid of embarrassment. If you parent your children just so they don't embarrass you, they will know it. It will be awful and it will have a bad outcome. Give your children the time and attention they need right now. Or one day you're going to... So we look at our lives right now and we have to drop everything to tend to our kids, right? It's frustrating. And maybe you're more spiritual than me. And that's cool. I am okay with that. Maybe you are like the fourth member of the Trinity, and I've never met you before. <laughs> and you just like, your kids, you know, they poop all over themselves, and you're like, this is awesome. Thanks for doing that. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to be mother of the year. I've always wanted this to happen. I wake up hoping that this will be the way my day goes, or they're fighting and you're playing breakup or whatever. Let me tell you something. Drop what you're doing now to tend to your children so you don't have to drop what you're doing later to tend to your adult children. You will live with your kids longer in their adult lives than you do in their childhood lives. Did you know that? You'll live with them 18 years, right? And if they live to be 50, if you live to see them be 50, if you live to see them older than 36, you've lived with them longer than you did when they were kids. Think about that. So put the time in now so that you can enjoy it later. Number next, balance each week, one week at a time. That is, make the necessary corrections that you need to make. And it's not easy. You can't, guys, you can't just set a family schedule on go and expect that it's just going to stay like that the rest of your life. Things change. Seasons change. Weeks are different and you got to flow with it. And then finally, invest in your family and make good memories. Take the breaks that you need to take. Take the vacations that you need to take. Do whatever you need to do to do it. Now, I'm going to shift. Now, that's how to protect your family, your, your wife, your marriage, okay? Now, I'm going to give you these real quick. I have, I have such a limited amount of time. Ten minutes, I think, I got. Okay, I'm going to give you ten ways to protect your kids. Okay, ten ways to protect your kids. It's our responsibility. Here you go. You ready? Number one. Realize that each kid is unique and special to God, and they should be treated accordingly. No two kids are alike. No two kids receive punishment the same way. I've learned, like I just use my older two kids as an example. My, my daughter is fairly difficult. I don't mean, I keep saying like she's really bad. She's really not. She just, she's, she's a challenge. Okay? I mean, when she was two and she would get in trouble, it was a war. Like all-out war. And now she's 15, and she just, you know, she still has that little edge. I mean, just because I tell her to do something doesn't mean she's just going to drop everything and do it. Then it ensues the necessary things that ensued. Take care of it. Then there's my son, Brent. So, in other words, my daughter has been spanked so much in her life, I mean, I could not even keep count, okay? My son, Brent, the sports guy, Mr. Fisherman, that guy, if you just, if you just look at him, he will... Repent like 15 times. He is 10, and I'm, I promise you, I bet he has not had a spanking in six years. I'm serious. That's crazy. He just melts just like that. Well, guess what Brent does not need? 
my forceful, stern response to everything he does. And my wife helps me with that. I'm so thankful. She'll like tug me on the sleeve. Hey, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. Remember, this is Brent. Hey, Brent, buddy, I don't want you to do that. Okay, Dad. I'm sorry. Adriana, hey, hey! You know, whatever. The point is, every kid is different. And, and even when it comes to discipline, you got to be careful. And you may disagree with what I'm getting ready to say, but I'm just telling you, every problem does not require the equal solution. If you're not careful, you can think being a Christian means you've got to be a controller or a control freak. And you can squash and kill the spirit of your children because you think the answer to everything is coming down with a sledgehammer. And you've got to know the difference between being somebody being a kid and somebody being a rebel. Number two, respect is important in our home. I have five kids. We have to live by this rule. I have this on our refrigerator. And sometimes my kids, you'll find them staring at it. It says these words. Each person in this home is a child of the king and should be treated accordingly. All of you should print that out, put it on your refrigerator. It is a great way to do life. If you're fighting with your sister, mistreating your sister, you go stare at that statement for a little bit. Your sister happens to be a child of God, a child of the king. Wouldn't that be a different perspective if you thought that about your spouse? What if you thought, my wife is a daughter of the king of kings and lord of lords. She's a princess. You think that might change the way you talk to her? The way you react? That's an important statement. Number three, the most important work you will ever do is within the walls of your own home. We have that statement literally painted over our sliding glass doors uh, at our house because we are reminding ourselves literally every day when we walk out to our pool and our patio in the backyard, we, we remind ourselves every day, hey, listen, I've got a lot to do. I speak internationally, nationally. I go, I pastor a church. I'm busy. I got a lot going on, but nothing is important as, as the kids that God has given me in my home. I believe that. And I'm glad to be here with you guys. This is fun. I'm enjoying this day. But not, this is not nearly as important as what I've got going at my house. And nothing's more important than what you've got going at your house. No career. No job, no hobby is worth you not investing in your kids. So let me give you a recommendation there. Make your kids your hobby. And get involved in their hobbies. And get them involved in your hobbies. Let me tell you something. My children learning how to fish is like the greatest thing in the world. Now, I'm not going to force it on any of them. My daughter hates it, so I don't take her. My son loves it. But you know what my daughter does love? She loves going out on a boat. She ain't going to fish, but she's going to catch some rays, right? I have to find what my kids' interests are, and I have to show them that I care about what they're interested in. If your daughter wants to show you a project or show you something that she's drawn or show you, listen to something that she's playing on an instrument and you act uninterested because that's just not that big of a deal to you, they're going to know that. They're going to know that you don't think what their life is all about is that important. So what do you got to do? You got to get in their lives because you believe it's the most important thing. Number four, give individual time to your children. Now, those of us with one child, this is not a problem. Those of us with no child, this is no, of course, if you don't have any kids yet, none of this matters. But right now, if you have more than one kid, do not think that your kids do not need individual time. Now, think about this, guys. For the six kids, I don't know who, somebody, a bunch, we got a bunch, okay. Now, can you imagine what this looks like in somebody with, 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 with five or more kids, what this means for us 
is on Thursdays. Our day is Thursday. Thursday after school, we rotate, me and my wife, through all of our four older kids. It means literally every Thursday on my calendar, it's blocked off. Either me or Angie's taking one of the kids to somewhere. And usually it's Sonic, and we order the drinks on the app, and it's half price. We spend $5, and we win, okay? We are not big, huge spenders. We do not live some extravagant, elaborate life. But what we do is we intentionally invest in our children. I'm talking about even my four-year-old. I take my four-year-old on Happy Meal McDonald's dates, and guys, I'm going to tell you right now, you would think that she thinks she is a literal princess when I march into McDonald's and buy her a Happy Meal and sit down and watch her eat a Happy Meal. She just thinks it's the greatest thing in the entire world, and I fill her love tank for a whole week with that. She just, it's just, she never stops talking about, it's a big deal. What's she talking about? She's talking about Super kitties and all kinds of other crazy stuff and whatever she's talking I don't know what she's talking about. It doesn't matter what she's talking about. What matters is I'm investing individually in her. Number five, listen to this. Do not raise entitled brats. Lord, help me. I'm just going to stay right here. <laughs> Let me give you a book recommendation. This might be the most valuable thing that I give you this whole time. Raising Grateful Kids in an Entitled World by Kristen Welch. When I read the book, it completely wrecked me. So don't read it if you don't want to get wrecked. This is a story about a woman who started investing in an um, orphanage in Kenya, just changed her life and how, she did her, how they did their family. And basically, the fun, most fundamental thing is they stopped giving their kids everything they wanted, started promising to give their kids everything they needed, but their kids would start working for all the things that they want. So my oldest kids, and now my young, my, all my kids except for the baby, are now on commission. I don't do allowance. Y'all better help me with allowance. I allow you to live in my house. I allow you to eat my food. Okay, there's no such thing. And by the way, I think it's terrible language. I really do. I would recommend you changing it to commission, which means I'm paying you to do certain things. Everybody's got chores, everybody's got responsibility, and everybody's got a pay grade. My daughter, who's the oldest, makes $30 a week. That is to babysit twice a week for me. $30 a week. I deposit it in her checking account every Saturday, and she spends it within two hours. But that's okay. It's a trade-off. You know how I get on my dates with my wife? I pay my babysitter to do it, okay? And, and you know what? When I go through Starbucks... And I order drinks for me and my wife, and my kids chime, Dad, I want a you know, triple pink drink with 14 extra strawberries. I go, you're more than welcome to go in there and order it yourself. I'm not getting it for you. I do not buy my kids Starbucks. This is not done it. I will not do it. I refuse to do it. They need to understand, that's a $5 drink. Do you know what that means? Do you have any idea how to process that? My 15-year-old daughter now thinking about college. I want to go to this college. Oh, great. Do you have any idea how much that costs? I'm ready to drive this fall. Great. Do you have any idea what your insurance is going to be? Maybe it's time to get a job. I sat down with her and calculated what she would need to make coming out of college to have a similar lifestyle that she's enjoyed growing up. And we came to the conclusion that she's going to need about $50,000 if she's single. $50,000 a year coming out of college? Girl, you better get to work. You better get some straight A's. You better get a scholarship. What do you think this is? I'm not buying my kids cars when they turn 16, even if I could afford it. I'm not paying for their college. It's not a privilege. 
I am not raising kids who are going to think everything they need in life, mom and dad's just going to hand it to them. That's the fastest way to raise the most miserable adults you've ever been around in your life. And if you don't believe that, just turn on Hollywood news every once in a while. And you're going to find the most entitled brats in the world wasting their lives away because nobody taught them how to work and nobody taught them the value of money and nobody helped taught them that, you know, if you're going to make it in life, you have to make it on your own. And it's not just going to be handed to you. This is so important because our kids, guys, listen, the further and further we go into this, you, sometimes we don't stop and think about it. I mean, I've seen all the way down to kids younger than my son. I've seen kids even in first grade. They have their own iPhones, and you know they're not paying for them. They've got their own iPhones. They've got their own unlimited ability to download apps and play games and do the, all this kind of stuff. I'm telling you guys, they've got their $1,000 PlayStations and all their games and all this kind of stuff, and there's nothing wrong with toys and presents and all that. But I tell you, we have far overlooked loaded the bus with our kids, and we have turned them into brats that think the world owes them everything. That's not Christian. And number two, listen very carefully, it's not kind. And boy, if you've been enabling your kids, go ahead and shut that valve off. You'll have a fight for about a week, but then they'll be okay. And they'll realize there's a new normal in town. I got to give you one more. I'm out of time. I can't pass this one up. This is too good. Crush your kids' screen addiction. Crush your kids' screen addiction. Listen, I am a Hitler on this. I am in 100% dictatorial uh, rulership over my kids' phones and tablets. I set their times. I set who they can talk to. I set nobody has internet on their phone. That's not happening. You want a time bomb in your house? Put your 13-year-old boy in a bedroom with an iPhone, and you don't have any idea what he's looking at. Over. You let let your daughter in fifth grade just have unlimited talk to whoever she wants to talk to, and you have no idea. You, don't have, you mean to say you don't have any idea who her friends are? You have no idea who she's talking to? You say, oh, they got it. You, you have, you, you, you'll let them go down a YouTube trail with no supervision? And, and what about, what, you want to protect your family? Take the screens away from them. You want to know, guys, I'm going to say this kind of, I didn't mean to end on a negative note. Most of the time, our kids are addicted to screens because we are addicted to ourselves. And the easiest thing for you to do is give them a phone and give them an iPad because they're not going to bother you. This is the worst possible form of parenting that has ever existed. We don't give our kids their tablets to go lay in their beds and calm down. That's the worst thing you could do. Give them books. Give them nothing. They're kids. They create stuff. But guys, I'm telling you, I know I faced the temptation in my own life. And one of the best things we've ever done is everything. I could write a whole book on it. And there's, there's all kinds of books out there about it. That's why I'm not going to write one. 
tech-savvy parents. There's all kinds of things like that. But you, you, you better get control of it. Take control of what your kids are doing. If you feel like they need electronics, fine. But you better be in 100% charge of everything related to their my daughters had the nerve to say, that's my phone. I said, no, 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 no. Whoa, 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 whoa. Did you pay the $800 for that iPhone? No. Do you pay the $50 a month bill to keep that line going? No. Then actually, that's not your phone. And that's not your room. And that door on your room is not the door on your room. It's my door on my room that I let you stay in. Guys, I've just got this thing with our, I mean, I talk this stuff about our parents all the time at church. We we are losing our parenting, and we're allowing the Internet to parent our kids. Don't be surprised when your third, fourth, fifth graders start asking questions about the transgender movement and homosexuality and all these sort of things. I've heard it with my own ears, kids in fourth and fifth grade. How do you even get there? You, 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 you need to be more cautious than I'm even trying to portray to you right now to be cautious. You should, you should take what I'm saying to be like cotton candy and take it like 50 times further than I'm even trying to stress with you right now. It is a grenade in their hands. You want to protect your family? Crush the screen time. Have fun. Realize that raising children is first and foremost discipleship. But whatever you do, men especially, please listen. It is your fundamental responsibility to lead and protect your wife and your kids. So let's get to it. Let's pray. God, I pray that you will cause us to see and sense the need to have this layer, this roof of protection over our homes. And God, we pray that where we would fail and where we cannot even do things we don't even know, we pray you would put that protection over us. But that where you expose and where you make clear, we would patch those holes and fix that shingle and replace the whole roof if we need to so that our home will be protected. In Jesus' name, amen.